Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. Uh, I'm Ian Cheeseman. Thanks very much for your company. I'll introduce uh, the people who are with me in just a moment. First of all, a big shout out for my sponsors who are the Charles Louis Group. Uh, they are a company that advise on development finance, mortgage advice and estate agency. Uh, you've got to know that they've started out life as a simple mortgage company offering buy-to-let, first-time buyer and moving home mortgages, but they've grown considerably since then and now provide support for the whole property transaction process, including an independent estate agents, an expert commercial financial team and a renowned mortgage team. Have a look at the website, which is charleslouis.co.uk. There's a phone number on there. You can get in contact with them and I'm sure they'll be only delighted to help you. Now, this is a Manchester City podcast, and from time to time, and tonight is one of those nights, we have a very special guest with us. Um, it is a former City player, a player I remember uh, giving the Player of the Year award to when I was uh, involved with uh, the Supporters Club and the BBC, and a massive, massive hero of a lot of people who are City supporters, and that man is Danny Tiato. And we're recording this, uh, this podcast tonight on Sunday evening, UK time, and Danny's up at six o'clock in the morning morning in Australia to be part of the podcast so not only are we grateful for you doing the podcast in the first place Danny but dragging yourself out of bed at six o'clock in the morning is an extra big thank you so so thank you how are you doing yeah very good thank you Ian uh yeah like I said uh, I'm, I'm living in a beautiful country here the sun's already starting to come up and uh yeah the weather is uh you know already getting nice and warm and uh yeah like I said that's uh, no 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 problem for me it's a pleasure uh you know you invited me uh to to do this chat with you guys so it's, it's been a while you look fit and well anyway um so that's good to see uh Andy who's one of our regular contributors is with us as well and you remember the, the era of Danny Tiato Andy don't you yeah, of course. Uh, Danny was one of our favourites, uh, obviously, uh, because, uh, you know, he used to bite the legs of everyone he played against. <laughs> so I know that didn't go down too well with with, uh, with, with Mr Keegan. Uh, he was known to have a little uh, tipple or two as well. So, you know, I think uh, it's fair to say that he was in our hearts uh, and uh, probably, for me, one of those players that you always remember for just giving everything. You know, and I think that always uh, bodes well for any City fan there uh, watching watching the Blues. So, yeah, remember Danny fondly. Probably didn't play enough games, but certainly remember that first division, uh, as it now is, uh, the championship, the, that season coming up, where I think he uh, he pretty much ran ran things, uh, uh, you know, getting stuck in down the, down the left-hand side. So, yeah, I remember Danny well. City fans always love somebody like Danny Tiato, and there have not been too many of them. Um, so uh, you're in an elite group there, Danny. Uh, we're obviously going to talk about all things City, including the game against Leeds and the upcoming second leg against Dortmund. Uh, but on the subject of bite your legs, I just wonder, Danny, how you feel about Because I've seen Andy Morrison, who obviously um, it was a tough tackling centre-back, moaning the fact that tackling isn't the same anymore. How do you feel a player of your ilk about the modern game? Do you admire it? Do you like it as it is? Or do you feel there should be more room for tackling of the type that you didn't shirk away from? Um, again, it's like uh, everything, uh, football, the game evolves uh, to different levels and different standards. I think uh, for the time that, uh, that I was playing at City, um, yeah, we, we sort of did start uh, at those lower leagues. So, so I don't, if I didn't have that and the boys like myself, Andy Morrison, there was a few boys in, in that side. If we didn't have that, 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 that aggression, that, that willingness to throw ourselves into those tackles, we probably wouldn't have got ourselves out of those divisions. So, so I think at that time, that was necessary to, to play that style of football. And the way the game's going now, yeah, I, I can see the game's evolved. You don't want to injure players. You don't want to hurt these uh, exciting, uh, talented players uh, that we've got playing now for City. So... Again, like I've said before, that yeah, I don't think I could probably play football these days. I think I'd be sent off more regularly than what I was back back in the day. So, so again, but but that's just the way the game's evolved over the years. And uh, yeah, like I said, I've got no problem the way the game has gone now. Um, again, it's 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 the the quality and the the technique of the players now is uh, is unbelievable to to watch and and, and admire. 
It could be that in a future era, somebody else doing a podcast like this will say, remember the days when footballers used to head the ball um, and maybe that will be eliminated at some point. Um, is, that, is, is that type of change of the game one of those things that you just have to accept or do you, do you not hanker at all after? I mean, I watch sometimes some of the old games on video and I think, wow, just remember, I loved it when it was like that. And, and as good as it is now, it's different. You never hanker back to it at all. Well, I I do, yeah. Deep down, I I sort of you know I, I sort of still like you know when when players you know do slide tackle and but a lot of these things are, are getting outlawed now and, and it sort of has changed my perspective on the game and and again not just football but even over here in Australia we've got Aussie rules uh, which is a sport that I sort of grew up playing as well even the game here which was a very very physical side and and some of the tackles that they used to do now are becoming outlawed here in Australia as well so so it's not just foot, uh, you know football in the UK it's Aussie rules here in Australia that the, the game and the, the rulings of uh, certain tackles and bumps that they put on players are changing just because of that reason of, you know, the, there is concussions, there is a lot of head knocks. So, so you know, the welfare of the players, you know, at the end of the day, it's an entertaining sport, but you don't want to jeopardise that for the future of, uh, you know, players who are putting their bodies on the line as well. As a former rugby player, Andy, um, you must have a, a view on physicality within sport. Yeah, it just reminded me, actually, uh, my dad, he's in his mid-80s, and whenever a goalkeeper gets touched, he'd, he'd, he'd shake his head and say, what's the matter? He used to be able to barge the goalie into the net and it would still count if he had the ball in his hands. So, you know, there's there's different areas and different different standards. Um, from, from actually uh, playing uh, rugby union, um, it still irks the way some of these players just feign uh, injury. Um, you know, it happens in so many uh, games and we see it more and more as as uh, trying to con uh, officials into decisions. And that sticks sticks in my craw. Um, so players who don't do that, and I think we're quite lucky at City, we don't seem to have too many people who, who try it on, but once or twice when they do, you, you, you do feel as though there's a backlash uh, from, from supporters about it. So um, the physicality side, well, let's just turn to yesterday's game where I thought we had a team who came with, uh, I wouldn't say the dirty Leeds tag, but um, Leeds, they definitely put themselves about. And it took a while uh, for Andre Mariner to actually persuade himself that he had a yellow card in his pocket. In fact, I think he put Yao Cancelo in the book before he put anybody from the Leeds team, if I remember rightly. And he needed to be persuaded to go to the uh, television screen for what was, uh, at least upon review quite a, a dangerous tackle which which got a red card whether whether it was a straight red or not I, I'm not really sure it just looked it looked bad so physic physically that was yesterday I think uh, uh, you know unusual uh, and, and I think we talked about it before that uh, teams who do come and take us on physically get something um, and you know perhaps there's a leniency around uh, the fact that you know, uh, I think it was the Leicester game, maybe De Bruyne got a, a slap across the face and maybe John Moss was the referee and he turned around and said, what's the matter with you? You're winning 3-1. So I think there's a little bit of that. We've all played in those games where you feel as though there's a little bit of leniency being shown. But uh, no, it's not a physical game in anymore. Uh, uh, you know, players have to be very careful about where their arms are and, uh, and their hands and flailing hands and so on. And Tackling wise, I mean, really, you've just got to to see how many uh, you know tackles are, are referred for for straight red. So no, it's it's not the game it was, and you can have a different opinion about whether or not it's better or worse. Um, but clearly, you don't want players injured. But I think we all like a good crunching, honest tackle. Well, let's talk then more specifically about the Leeds game. I mean, my personal disappointment was that the, the team was changed so dramatically. I mean, I can understand the manager wanting to rest one or two players. Um, I understand that the fact that there's a game on Wednesday against Dortmund on the second leg and then a cup, cup semi-final next weekend. Uh, and obviously 
there's an F, there's a League Cup final the week after that. So there's a lot of big, big games coming up. And you might argue that League is, is just about done. Although United's victory at Spurs keeps it sort of interesting. But I felt that making so many changes, I mean, I've just written a newspaper column, which will, will be published tomorrow, in which I've pointed out a few things like, you know, if you think as a City fan that that, that, that end deserved, um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of the words to say this, that the end deserved the means, um, that leaving all those players out did its job and losing the game ultimately didn't matter, then how far do you take that? Should City have just contacted Leeds and the Premier League and said, listen, we don't need to play this game. We're saving ourselves for Wednesday. Leeds can have a 2-0 win, have the victory, have the three points, and we'd just really rather not play. Well, then the same people would say that's ridiculous, but when you're putting out a team of the players that you're not going to play in midweek and then you lose at home to Leeds... Surely, in a way, you've slightly brought the game into disrepute by not fielding a stronger team against Leeds, who may now finish above or below somebody that they might not have done. But And, and I know it doesn't apply because people can't travel to games, but what about the people who, in normal times, because this had happened again next season, who might pay 50 quid for a ticket or travel from far afield to watch a match and then see all the star players rested? It just didn't sit right to me. I understood it in one way but it didn't seem right. Now, it was quite, it was a bit different in your era, Danny, because there wasn't that 22-man squad where, you know, you could just rest a team and bring another team in. But do you have a view on, am, am I wrong for saying what I've said? Um, I mean, should was Pep right to do what he did? Um, I think uh, just looking at it uh, from the outside and, and seeing the way the, you know, the, the way uh, Manchester City has, has gone with uh, yeah, their play, playing roster. Yeah, they've got a lot of games, but I think uh, the squad they've got, I think they should be able to, and the quality they've got, they should be able to, to change that, uh, you know, the personnel. And again, I think he's given the opportunity to some of these players who probably aren't playing regular football to, to stand up and, uh, and prove to him that he's good enough to, to be in that starting 11 uh, week in, week out. So as much as City had uh, a lot of possession in that game against Leeds, uh, yeah, I think uh, the boy, the, the players actually have to have to look at themselves and say, you know what, do I want to be in that starting side next week? And they, they need to, you know, when they get that opportunity, can they give everything and make sure that, you know, he's in the back of the the, the, the coach's mind uh, for the following week. So, I think that's that's the only thing I can see which will that will disappoint me as a as a manager if I was uh, managing the side that I've given these players an opportunity and they've gone out and haven't given me the result uh, that that City you know probably deserved at the end of the day but didn't get. We all know that on Wednesday night there might be as many as nine changes, and it wouldn't have mattered how any of those players had played yesterday. Um, they wouldn't get into that team. He's already made his mind up what the team is on Wednesday. So I understand the theory of what you're saying, but in reality, we all know what was going on, don't we? Yeah, in, in reality, yeah, we definitely know. But but if I was uh, put in that situation as a, as a player, um, yeah, there was no way that the old one would lose to lead. So that, that's the only disappointing side that I see, that if I was given an opportunity to play that, you know, I would make sure uh, as, a, as a player individually that, that I'll give everything and, and make sure that we won that game, you know what I mean, especially with the quality they've got. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, I think uh, you've got to look at it. Uh, player's perspective, I think. Um, clearly, there's a need for rest and recuperation. Um, definitely, I agree with Danny when he's talking about, here's my opportunity. Um, and, you know, if the side turns up, and decides to defend and, and have a go as on the break as Leeds did, which is what you'd expect. Um, you know, then you've got to be uh, you've got to be able to be stand up and be counted when the team sheet comes out on Wednesday and you're not part of it. I think that's uh, that's the way it is. I think if you were playing um, maybe one of the teams bordering on perhaps relegation, um, and we'd have put that side out. Press would have gone for us a little bit stronger about, you know, how can you put a team out against a opposition like that who are fighting for survival? And I think we remember not not too long ago being in that position and probably would feel pretty aggrieved if somebody had done that against a, another team that we were fighting to stay up against. So you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. I think uh, 
difficult for, 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 you know, running on four fronts as we are doing. And the expectation now is ridiculously high. Um, you know, inquests because we lose and stuff. It's stupid. Um, it's impossible to achieve all this without perhaps, you know, having a day like yesterday when it was necessary to make so many changes. Um, I'd be more inclined to suggest that the club should be forcing perhaps a little bit of pressure on the international associations to allow players to have a restriction of the amount of football they're playing um, during the international breaks because I think that's probably uh, probably still too much. The fact that United beat Spurs and have narrowed the gap slightly and still have a game in hand, is that in any way a concern? I mean, we as City fans have been fairly dismissive so far and saying, well, the title race is over. And certainly that's how I feel. And I don't look at that United result today and get particularly alarmed. But there is just that old City thing at the back of my head that I'm thinking, you know, if we were to lose again against Aston Villa or, or when if City get through to the semi-finals of the Champions League and Pep does something similar in between the two legs of that and suddenly you've lost two or three games... Then the nerves start to, to come in, don't they? I mean, could is the, the Premier League's got to be the priority, Danny, hasn't it? Um, yeah, it does. And again, it's always going to be in the back of your back of your mind when you start uh, start conceding a few goals and, and losing a couple of games on on the bounce, and then you've got United and, and the other teams are gaining a few points on you. So, but I think uh, with, with the quality, uh, you know, and you don't want to be complacent uh, as a as a club or a team or as a supporter. But you're going to win it. It's never, never, you know, never done for the last game of the season. But, but just to, you know, mathematically, I think, uh, yeah, I think they're in in a good position. And and the Premier League would would firstly be uh, on the, the, you know, the first thing on their mind to to win that. And and again, the process of of trying to rotate, keep the squad fit, keep them healthy, and continue working their way forward in the Champions League as well is is something that it's a it's a juggling act, uh, you know, for, for for the coaching staff and 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 the and the players as well. So it's just very important trying to trying to find that balance to to again to try and you know win everything, which is uh, a goal that Pep's trying to do. Let's draw a line on the Leeds game then, because I think we can f sort of forget that really. We've made the point that I wanted to make and we've talked about that game. Let's be more positive because obviously City are on the point of potentially winning still four major trophies and that we've never had that you know, t in our lifetimes. I mean, it's amazing. It might not happen, but at the moment we're all very excited. From where you're watching, Danny, I mean, who are the players that you look at and and really admire. I mean, you're probably just going to churn out the same familiar names, but I'm just curious to know what your thoughts are from so far afield. Yeah, or just the entire squad. But uh, I think defensively, you know, I think when when we start with the strongest back line, we look very solid. Uh, you know, my the play that I probably admire most at the moment would have to be De Bruyne. Right? You know, his his quality and his uh, you know his technique is is unbelievable. You know, he's uh, you know a player that I've admired over a lot of years now and. And I've got my, a young boy who's 14, 15 now. And, and I tell him, watch De Bruyne, watch De Bruyne. If you want to be a midfielder, that's a world-class midfielder. So, and again, yeah, it's, it's, it's the squad they've got. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And when they've got their strongest starting 11 out there, I don't think there's you know, many, many teams in the world that can compete against them when they're on song. What do you think of the left-back position? Because that's obviously your position. I mean, there's been, I think, three left-backs started against Leeds. So there's a, you ought to see them all in one game. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that, that's a thing as well. I think, uh, you know, that that's a position that, uh, you know, I think they're, they're trying to figure out who's going to be the, the best player for that position as well. But, but again, I think the quality that, that the club's got and that squad, the squad's there, I think you could throw, you know, anyone in that position, uh, you know, the three boys who are playing those positions uh, quite comfortably. And, and again, it's just, you know, that, that competition for places is, is vital. Um, and that's why I say that that squad's so important when they do make those rotations to, to be stand up and be counted and, and make sure you can uh, claim that spot and, and perform week in, week out without making mistakes. Do you have a priority uh, of the, I mean, there's obviously uh, Cancelo can play at left back. There's Mendy, there's Zinchenko, Ake yeah. in theory can play at left back. So there's plenty of options. Do you have a, a preference? Who would, who would you be picking? Um, Mendy's a very powerful player, you know, and you got, uh, you know, as well, like, 
than cello as well. So, so again, for me, it's, it's a hard one. Uh, I, I quite like Mendy. I think, you know, having someone big and powerful, uh, you know, like, like himself and actually scored the other week as well. So, so having someone like him, uh, yeah, I think at the moment he's, he's quite strong and someone that I, I quite like in that position as well. And Andy will probably confirm this. Um, it's good that you're supporting him and, and on his side, but there are a lot of negative mm. thoughts about Mendy from the, the fan base, really, Andy, aren't there? Yeah, I think um, he came really from Monaco and his first run of games. I mean, you think he had the uh, most assists in the Premier League. He was incredible. And then he got this ridiculous injury, which he brought on himself, really. And I don't really think he's got this consistency to that level back. Um, as you know, he's, he's kind of a got a presence as well in terms of his uh, character, whether he's at the stadium or whether he's on social media. So he gets the tag of being a bit of a clown. And I think that unfortunately goes against him. And, and even when he does good things, you know, you can see that people still don't buy in. Uh, so, you know, somebody needs to lock into that position of, and become the left back. And, uh, yeah, when he's on song, he's incredible, as, as, as is Cancheo. And Zinchenko was never brought in to play in that position and has adapted, I think, remarkably well. So, um, you know, what do we want? Because it depends who you're playing. And uh, let's say Danny's type of left back is probably somebody we need three times a season these days and it's a different kind of attacking uh, prowess that we're looking for uh, so-called uh, ghost wing back uh, position almost has been talked about recently so yeah Mendy gets a bad press uh, but I think he doesn't help himself uh, to some extent and he needs a target you know you can see that Mendy's struggling with uh, the, fr the, fr the false nine there's nobody to whip them crosses into. And I think he's struggling with that. I don't want to in any way sound negative, And this question might sound negative, but it's one I've got to bring up because a lot of City fans are talking about this all the time, which is the form of Raheem Sterling. Uh, Raheem Sterling has been a very, very exciting player, scored a lot of goals. Uh, personally, even though there's quite a lot of criticism at the moment, I'm still a big fan of Raheem Sterling and he would still probably be in my first choice 11. Now, there'll be City fans listening to this right now who will be, what are you talking about? He shouldn't be in the team. Well, obviously, it, it's, it's all about opinions. But there is a lot of negativity around him. Um, I mean, obviously, you're a little bit more detached uh, where you are, Danny. So perhaps you don't get the, the influence from what the fans are, are saying over here. But what, how would you assess Raheem Sterling? Do you see a, a deterioration in his form this season? I mean, one of the accusations is that, you know, he misses chances and, and misses too many of them or runs down blind alleys. What, what's your verdict on, on Raheem Sterling? Yeah, well, it's, it's always going to be, you know, what, what he's done sort of in previous seasons. And again, he was he was very prolific over the last few seasons. Probably this season probably hasn't put away those chances that he would have done, uh, you know, maybe last season and the season before. So, again, that, that criticism is always going to be thrown at a player when he's not, you know, putting away, yeah, so-called easier chances. I think, you know, not not that it's a, it's a form thing, but maybe he's not, uh, you know, he's probably just not, that confidence uh, side that probably that he had previously he's probably dropped a little bit out of his game and he's not not finding the net as regularly as he probably should this season but I think it's probably just a little bit of a confidence thing for him and and again I think that that will turn around again and I think he's again the quality that, that he's got I think you know and the, and the type of player he is I think he'll he'll come good again and then everyone goes oh well that was just a, a little blip in his um in that in that season sort of thing so I still think he's, uh, yeah, definitely a, a great player that's going to score you goals week in, week out. I think it's just a little bit of a form, a bit of a confidence thing at the moment that he's going through, that it's probably not uh, hitting the net as regularly as what everyone expects him to, to be. In your career, did you ever have moments yourself where you lost confidence or whatever? And if you did, how did you get out of it? Um, not that I really lost confidence. It was probably stages where I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm not really, you know, I'm not really feeling that, that comfortable every time I'm touching that ball and that pass and all that. So, so that, that's the thing you work in, in training, uh, you know, you go out and you, you know, you, you, you get touches on the ball, you, you practice your technique and, and sort of stuff like that. So, 
it is, but that's something that you got to dig yourself out of mentally. At, you know, as, as a footballer, you got to be quite strong uh, to to deal with that. Uh, you know, that negative side. You know, in criticism. You know, at the moment, not too many crowds there, so you don't you don't hear them huffing and puffing when you when you do miss a strike. So at the moment, I think it would be a little bit easier. But 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 again, that's something that you have to deal with uh, yourself internally. And uh, yeah, and the, and the better players uh, who are mentally strong will get themselves out of that. Uh, little bit of a rut and, uh, and and get themselves back playing uh, great football again. So again, I think it happens in every player's career. Yeah, you go through you know stages and, and maybe a season here and there where you think you know what you know I'm, I didn't do as good as I did the season before. So you just got to you know keep on working on that uh, you know year after year if if you want to keep on uh, you know trying to play at that level. I mean, I don't know Raheem personally, but looking from the outside, he seems an exceptional human being to me. I mean, he's been through some real tribulations with racism and stuff, and he's handled it superbly well with, with great maturity. And, and I know you now, Danny, are a mature man, and me and Andy, hopefully, are mature men as well. And it's easy with this level of life experience to be able to, or easier, shall we say, sometimes to deal with these types of things. But we forget he's only a young man. He's a young man who's playing, you know, in the spotlight and every action and everything he does is scrutinised. And yet to me, he's been exceptional. So I personally believe that a human being who has that type of mentality will find a way through this and that people he needs the support of people rather than the negativity but you're never going to stop that Andy are you you're never going to stop the you know the people who who want to criticize him and and obviously if he has a bad game we're all entitled to say he's had a bad game and I might have a bad podcast or a, you might have a bad day at the office it happens to everybody doesn't it yeah I think uh, what Danny said is correct about confidence it, it looks as though He's struggling a little bit with it, um, but nevertheless, he's, he's he's yesterday. Every time he looks up, he's got four or five men to get past. And I think Sterling's game uh, sometimes doesn't lend itself to being in those pockets. He seems to struggle a little bit with time on the ball for me. He's much better when the when the passing's slick, and he's got a chance, and he's he's learned to stop blasting the ball, and he's been putting it in the last few seasons. You know, he's learned that skill of placing the ball in the net and being in the right place. But the team's changing a lot. When he's on, he's seen as a star forward yesterday and he's expected to do a lot. And if he doesn't deliver, then people jump on him because obviously nobody likes to see the team uh, being beaten. Um, so I think it's a question of just giving him giving him time. He's He seems to be Gareth Southgate's go-to guy, you know, to support... His front attack. So, from that perspective, you know you've got to say that he's he's considered uh, the top of his game as an Englishman. And um, yeah, I think he just just like many forwards, just needs that run of uh, opportunities which fall his way that go in. And hopefully, in these key games coming up now, we you know this uh, semi-final, Carabao final, and what we've got with Dortmund and. And hopefully uh, another throw, possibly at PSG uh, or maybe Munich. Um, yeah, maybe that's when Sterling will find uh, his, his moment, and that'll be great. And we'll all forget about you know one or two poor games that he might have had in recent times. Where do you stand, Danny, on right footers playing on the left and left footers playing on the right? I mean, you always played on the left as a left footer as a fullback, uh, not Glimpardo in a previous era. Um, you know, didn't have problems with playing really with either feet, you know, and there have been exceptional players who played on the other side. Is it easier to, as an attacker? Would do you prefer to see your Raheem Sterling on the right with the right foot? Or do you prefer to see a Riyad Mahrez on the right with the left foot cutting in? Do you have a preference on that? Um, uh, well, again, uh, the, the game has evolved now where, the, the quality of players, uh, you know, e either with the right or left foot, that the quality is so high now that you can you can alternate those players and, and switch them on on either side where you know they know you can they can go down the line, you know, and cross with the opposite foot, or else they can cut inside like Mares does and and scores with his left foot as well. So so I think the again the the way the game has evolved, I think yeah, I, I sort of I'm sort of doing sort of coaching sort of kids here on the 
up here in Queensland on the Gold Coast. And, and I sort of alternate the boys as well that I think that can cut inside who have got a, a bit more technique and pace and, and, and sort of, you know, have those shots on target as well. So so I think it's just, yeah, I think it's trying to find that balance and, and that type of football that you want to play. If you if you want to get that that ball down, you know, get the ball wide and get crosses in, yeah, put the boys on naturally on their on their on their proper side. But if you if you're mixing it up and you want the boys to cut inside and, and strike and again it's it's preference of uh, yeah the, the the game and the and the and the style of game that you want to play against certain teams that uh, I think uh, Pep Guardiola is probably changing it up against certain teams, uh, which way he wants to, 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 to play against certain teams. So, so again, that's just the, the smartness of a, of a coach and a manager, uh, which way he lines up against certain teams and, and the players he puts out there as well. As a left-back, is a killer question for you, Danny. You're the left-back playing against Manchester City. Who do you prefer to see running at you, the right-footed Raheem Sterling or the left-footed uh, Riyad Mahrez? Ah... <laughs> Oh, it's a tough one. Uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's a really tough. I, again, it's you know what they're both a nightmare to defend against. So uh, for me, I try and put him in row Z, you know, to be honest, and I probably get sent off quite quickly. But um, I, I I couldn't even pick between them, you know what I mean? Because again, the, the the pace and the technique of Raheem Sterling is incredible, and also, but just you know, even Mares, the way the way he puts players off balance when he cuts inside and all that, it's. Yeah, it's it's, it's I'd, it'd be a disaster actually defending against uh, those two boys running at you. So I couldn't I couldn't choose between neither of them. You're sitting on the fence. <laughs> yeah, I am definitely. I don't blame you, Andy. What do you think? I mean, would you, you know, oh. is Sterling still worth the place in this team? That's that's your killer question. Um, yeah, I think he does. Um, quite where I'd play him. Uh, again, that's the question of. I think it's not just about the individual, it's about the team he's playing and what the manager, the coach expects. So, you know, if crosses to the byline are not required, you'd play a, a you'd play Raheem on the on the left side. Um, similarly for Riyad. But if you I always remember watching Ian Robin, uh, particularly when he was at Bayern Munich, and we knew exactly what he was gonna do. And he was going to use that pace to come in on the left and absolutely whip one in or shoot and score or just his pace was incredible. So, you know, if you're that good, it doesn't matter. And I think really that's the, the question of if you're going to try and play one trick pony way, you've got to be very good at it. And if you're not exceptional, then you've got to have another string to your bow. You've got to be able to take that, you know, go around, go around this, around the back of the left back and whip one in. So Sterling does have a place, I think, in, in, in our starting 11, yeah, uh, because I think that he's shown some low points, but overall, you know, he's done, he's done really well with his, uh, with his performances over the last few years and, and scored a lot of goals. You're a budding coach now. Not, let, let's not call you a budding coach, just a coach, Danny. You must study Pep. I'd be interested to know as well what you think has happened this season. Do you think the fact that Aguero has been injured has forced Pep Guardiola into playing with a false nine? Or do you think that that, was, that is a preferable way to play? I mean, we saw Spain, for example, in the World Cup a few years ago on the Nations Cup having fantastic success playing with a false nine. So I just wonder whether, in your opinion, Pep was always going to go in the direct, that direction, whether Aguero had been fit or not, or whether this is a result of Aguero not being fit? Um, I think it might be a result of uh, Aguero probably not being fit and, uh, and, and, and being on, you know, as sharp as he has been over the last few seasons. So I think not that he was forced in that direction, but I think it was probably something at the back of his mind that he was probably looking to, to alter and change a little bit. And, and again, I think by... Not, not that he was forced to do it, but just uh, Aguero not being uh, fully fit that he's gone down that way and it's actually really worked well. So, so again, sometimes these things are uh, not say call fall on your lap, but uh, yeah, there's something that he's, he's definitely, uh, you know, considered and, and now it's starting to, to, to work out quite well for him. Quite well. It's working out very well at the moment, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it makes it very difficult for the opposition defence to know what to do, frankly, against City, doesn't it? Because the goals are coming from everywhere. My wife said to me the other day, you know, we haven't got one player who's, who, who's scoring all these goals. And I said, why is that a bad thing? They're coming from everywhere. You never know when they're going to come from. So the opposition can't stop you. And that, that's surely the, the total football that, that Pep talks about, the, the Johan Cruyff type of football, isn't it? 
Yeah, definitely. I think that's. I think if you if you if you're trying to trying to put all your eggs in one basket and, and say you want Aguero to score the goal, Raheem Sterling to score the goals, you're limiting. But when you've got in, you know, Sterling, Mares, you know, De Bruyne, Foden, when you've got all these other boys who are who are chipping in, you know, week after week scoring these goals, you, you know that you know the team's travelling in the right direction. You know, you're not you're not you're not just counting on one boy to to put those goals in the back of there. And that's why I think they've been uh, you know very dominant over you know you know over the last you know four or five months now that you know everyone's contributed to score goals, and that's why I think you know City are, are one of the strongest looking sides about at the moment. We've talked on the podcast the last couple of weeks about the possibility of. This whether it's likely to happen or not, you know, getting somebody like Harlan to come in. Uh, Peppers said that there isn't the money there, and and we all understand that budgets have been cut. And we've seen the the, the figures that have come out from City saying that they've made a loss in this particular financial year, and I'm sure that's affecting lots of clubs all around the world. Um, so I'm only going to talk hypothetically here. But if you were Pep and money wasn't the issue. Would you be looking for a out-and-out striker like Haaland going into next season, or would you be looking to continue with this false nine and not having a, a you know, a, a, a direct point of attack? Because Andy's talked about, you know, perhaps Mendy doesn't know where to play his cross because he hasn't got a point of attack, and you could make the same argument with Sterling if he was playing on the right. So, what would your big priority be to go out and get this perfect striker, whoever it is, who is especially striker, or do you carry on playing this way with the false nine? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a tricky one. Uh, the, again, as much as Harlan is, is dominating now and scoring, uh, you know, week after week, and again, very big, powerful striker. Um, yeah, again, the way the city is playing at the moment, I probably, you know, if, if it was me, I probably wouldn't. Uh, I'm not too sure, yeah, the way that the team uh, is at the moment. If you were to throw him in there, would you then change your style of football just to accommodate him and, and just put all your focus again on just him scoring your goals week in, week out, as he is doing at Dortmund, which is, which is phenomenal and what he's doing. But, again, you could bring him in and it could disrupt the style of football that you're trying to, trying to produce. And, uh, if you, again, like I said, if you just dedicate on that one player scoring your goals and he has a dip in form and, or he gets injured on you, well, then you have to revert back to, to looking at a false nine again. So, I don't know. I, I, I probably My preference would probably continue going the way uh, City's going at the moment. And I don't know if you've seen Liam Delap, who's coming through the under-23s. I've been fortunate enough to see them quite a bit. And um, whilst he's still raw and he's only young and, and he still you know, needs a lot of coaching, I think, he has the raw materials, he has the talent to potentially be that Haaland type of striker. You know, I'm not saying he's at that point by any means, but that would then give you that other angle. And one of the things City fans say is that now and again in certain types of games, we still miss a player like Eddie Ndjeko because he gives a, an alternative, a different dimension. You know, you can't, if you're struggling in a game like the, the Leicester game a couple of years ago when eventually Vinnie Company hit that one into the top corner, it might have been the day that you needed that big boots upfield and that big man to, to head it in. And, and, and Liam Delap, whilst I'm not saying um, Haaland, if we're talking about him, is quite as simplistic as that, he does give you that type of an option. And I can see um, Delap being that. So presumably you're talking about players coming through rather than going out and spending a lot of money to completely reshape the team, Danny. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I would. Again, yeah, that'd be all well and truly, uh, you know, great to have a player like Harlan. But, and I understand you through the question at me saying, oh, if, if money was, uh, you know, a no problem sort of thing. But, but again, I still, yeah, that'd be great uh, to, to have a player, you know, like that in the, in the team as well, uh, where you, you can mix it up uh, in certain games where you think, you know what, yeah, I, I, need a, I need a big, powerful striker to get up front and, uh, you know, get those headers, get when those balls come in and get those, yeah, use his physical side again. In, in a in a perfect world, yeah. If you could, if you could have uh, you know have both, uh, you know, have a squad where you can rotate and have your powerful striker, you know, have your have your false nines, have your boys playing again in a perfect world, yeah, that would be uh, unbelievable. But but realistically, yeah, if if you've got a player, 
you know, at City that you, you think at, that, that he's going to fill that void uh, in the next year or so? Well, why don't you continue working, working with a player that you've already got at the club that is uh, showing, uh, you know, prosperity and, and, and looking to, to maybe do that role that maybe Harlan, Harlan can probably give you uh, right now? So, so yeah, that's, that's just a balancing act uh, from the club, uh, you know, which way they go. In a few minutes at the end of the podcast, I want to talk a little bit about what's to come in the rest of the season. But I also want to take the opportunity just to ask you, Danny, about your time at City and uh, and your memories of it. Um, people at my age and, and, and Andy's age remember you, but some fans listening to this won't remember that era at all. What can you tell them about, about your time at City? What did it mean to you and who did you enjoy playing with and against? Um, oh, for me, uh, it was a, it was a nine and a counter city uh, back then. Uh, it was a, it was tough tough old times. Uh, you know when we when we started back uh, in the old second division, had to climb ourselves out of out of those uh, you know out of those uh, games and that and those those uh, and that and that level uh, again we were very competitive. Uh, again, we had a great uh, team camaraderie, uh, a great bunch of boys. Uh, you know that was my. In my footballing career, that was my best time because we had, you know, getting promoted every year, getting to the Premier League, getting relegated, going back up again. Again, that's something that, you know, that I dreamt about as a kid. And, uh, yeah, and, and just the fans in general uh, back, back then as well, the, the support they gave, uh, you know, gave the squad, uh, you know, in the tough times. And it was, it was immense. I can't thank all the city supporters and, and also the club itself, uh, you know, because they, they looked after me quite well. And, and just all the players that I played with, uh, you know, played with some really great teammates. And again, the, the game had changed, but we really enjoyed, uh, you know, playing week in and week out, uh, you know, with, with, with some really, really great guys as well. How did an Aussie like you end up in Manchester? <laughs> uh, it, it was a roller coaster, mate. Yeah, going from Italy to, to Stoke and then to, to Manchester City, it was a bit of a bit of a merry-go-round uh, but that's that's a life of a footballer uh, you know when you when you're hungry and you want to make it to the top level you have to dig your heels in and uh, and give everything uh, for, for an Aussie it's uh, you know back then it was it, it was a it was a hard slog and uh, but but I think uh, I endeared myself to a lot of the city supporters and I think with most teams that I played for of my no-nonsense sort of attitude and uh, you know my 100% sort of all action sort of get stuck in and, and go for it and, and never back down from anyone and again when we used to play against the likes of United and that I was probably one of the most hated sort of city players at the time but but again that was uh yeah that was part and parcel of uh you know what you got with me um you know doesn't matter what team I played against but against United I'd probably throw myself in a little bit more and trying to hurt a few players as well at the same time but that's that's the way I was and uh I thoroughly enjoyed it as much as I got sent off every now and then as well. The modern day player who reminds me of you in terms of attitude, really. I know the game has changed and I know you've admitted yourself that you were uh, perhaps a bit more raw, as it were, uh, compared to some of the more finesse type of football watching at the moment. Pablo Zabaleta jumps into my mind as a as a sort of, you know, somebody who identified with the fans very strongly. He was very brave. He was very committed. We saw a lot of Pablo Zabaleta with head bandages on and carrying on very defiantly. That that was you as well, wasn't it, Danny? Yeah, it was. And again, when I used to watch him play, I used to go, you know what? Yeah, he, he does work hard. And it was, again, I think that's why he did himself as well to the supporters. Because again, he was, he was, you know, work rate, his attitude, you know, was, was tremendous. So, so again, yeah, he was, he was a, you know, he was a great player and I thoroughly enjoyed watching him as well. And yeah, I could, you know, he's, he's probably technically a better player than me, but, but again, I, I saw sort of little traits that I thought, you know what? Yeah, I, I like him. And I, and that's something that I, that I try to emulate as well. You know, even though he, I was younger than him and, and played earlier on. I presume you ended up being a footballer because you were, were not very good at cricket, being an Aussie, because that's normally where you go to, isn't it, if you're a good sportsman? <laughs> yeah, well, I, do, I, know, I don't, don't even enjoy cricket, no, to be honest. Yeah, it's not my sport. I always played AFL growing up, so I think that's where I got a little bit of the mongrel in me sort of thing, uh, you know, playing, uh, you know, Aussie rules out in Australia was quite physical back then, so, so I had to probably stand up and be counted uh, when I played that uh, as a young kid. What's it like being back home then? I mean, you've been back home for quite a long time now, haven't you? Yes, I have. Yeah, 
yeah, I've been back here now probably about 12 years now. So again, I've uh, as much as I'm, I'm originally from Melbourne, I'm living up here in Queensland on the Gold Coast, which, uh, you know, the, the weather, the temperature doesn't get any any lower than 24, 25 degrees in the winter. So so the climate and the lifestyle that, uh, you know, that I've got back here is, is beautiful. Again, uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoy it. Got two boys and a wife. And uh, yeah, so enjoy my lifestyle uh, back here uh, in Australia thoroughly. If you had to identify with one particular club, would it be City? I mean, you played more City games than you did for any other club, didn't you? Yes, I did. And that's, you know, a question. I, you know, I was at Stoke for a while. I was at Leicester sort of towards, uh, you know, when I, when I left sort of City. But, but again, my time at, at City was, yeah, was, the, was always going to be the, the pinnacle of my career because uh, just the, you know, the, the squads that we had and also the, the success, uh, you know, year after year, you know, even though there was a relegation, uh, you know, you know, break in there as well. But then we got promoted again the following one. Again, it was it was solely enjoyable, uh, you know, to be around the club and and to see the progress from from Main Road and then to Etihad and then the level the, the club's gone to now. I think if there's, you know, any supporters, I think in the world, I think and the the heartache they sort of had over the years, I think, you know, city supporters and, and that club deserves all the success they're they're getting now, you know, and and what they will do in the future as well. So so it's a it's you know from sitting back here in Australia watching watching this team uh, move forward and the way they've, you know, they've won things and, and the, the squad there and the club that's became, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to sit back and watch. Through the things that I do, I've become very aware of the fact that City fans exist now all over the world. I mean, I do stuff for Sony TV in India, Champions League and FA Cup games, and there's loads of Indian fans over there. I was speaking to Colonel Doug Hurley, the astronaut, who went up to the space station, who's a City fan, you know, and, and, and I'm very well aware there's a lot of American fans. What's it like in Australia? Because I suppose the difference in Australia is that football our football, soccer, has been longer established in Australia. So perhaps fans have their own team over there. But you find now that there's a, a lot more interest in City, uh, perhaps in that 12 years, has it gone bigger while you've been back home? Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, you know, when I used to go around, uh, you know, coaching, uh, you know, my younger boy, you know, when I first came back to Australia, you'd see a lot of United tops, uh, Liverpool tops. But now you can see that, that that cycle has changed now and you can see that many more city tops uh, being worn at trainings, you know, at the, at the junior levels and stuff like that. So so now that that circle and that brand of city has gone, you know, worldwide. And again, you know, here in Australia, you, you probably see more city tops than what you do United and Liverpool tops now. So because that cycle has, has really turned now and, and it's great to see. So because every time I, I see a young city kid, I go, that's a top top and when I see United kids I go nah you're wrong team buddy I go you got to go blue you know not red you know so so I keep on bagging a few of the little kids out who have got United tops on so and trying to convert them slowly but surely do you not do you not say to them listen I played for Manchester City to these kids do you not tell them that <laughs> no I don't because they wouldn't have a clue who I am <laughs> oh, you should a have a badge on <laughs> just a question on that is does the uh, the City Football Group's presence uh in Australia through through Melbourne uh, have a positive impact on on how the club is seen, uh, uh, let's say, not just in that state, but, but generally in Australia. Does it have a, a, you know, does it does it enhance the city brand to a larger extent? Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, especially in Melbourne. Uh, you know, I've been to a few of their um, their few of their gatherings and stuff like that, and done a couple of things for them. Again, they're, they're again they're they're so proud as a you know you know as you know as as a club and, and as a team you know down in Melbourne and and again they, they they've got their own sort of football club and they, they they wear the Man City tops and all that sort of stuff. So so again, yeah, you can just see how how big the you know they've sort of pushed it and 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 their sort of their fan base has grown immensely now. Yeah, you know, usually it was probably you know say 30 or 40 older guys now and now it's you know hundreds of younger guys who have jumped on board with them and you know go to the go to the pub and, and go watch the game when City are playing and that so so that number has grown uh, yeah immensely now so it's, it's, it's great to see the the way that you know we well, you know everyone's you know around the world has embraced uh, Manchester City now as a as a world brand. Well you're a very proud re- you, you are, should be a very proud representative Danny because you're We've said it before, but you, you know, you're an absolute icon as far as I'm concerned uh, of Manchester City. So uh, again, I thank you for coming on the podcast tonight. So obviously, now we look ahead to to what's to come. Um, City play Dortmund on Wednesday. Um, 
the first leg was was in the end quite a narrow victory. It won't be played in front of that big yellow wall in Dortmund. And I have to admit that if City had been going the 2-1 up from the first leg for the second leg, I'd have been slightly more concerned. I don't feel particularly concerned about the second leg in an empty stadium. Um, how do you guys feel? Let me ask Andy first of all, because we've we've heard uh, quite a bit from Danny just uh, recently. So, what are your thoughts? I mean, obviously, you have your company that you work for is represented, or actually, is probably owned in Germany. So, you must mm -hmm. have a bit more knowledge over there of the mood and and the opposition that City are facing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the company's Munich based, uh, and I would say they pretty much give a clear opinion that they think City are playing the best football of any team in Europe right now. Um, and I've got a couple <clears> of good customers and friends who are Dortmund fans, and we obviously have exchanged uh, banter through the last game. And if we'd have been going to Dortmund, I'd have been meeting up with them. Um, and, you know, it's a pity that we're not able to do that this time round. Um in fact, I remember the last time we played uh, in Dortmund, the Christmas markets were on, so it was a bit of a blurred evening for me, um, <laughs> I have to say. So the yellow wall was a hazy yellow wall from my perspective. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I think it's a tough fixture without the fans even, because they've got nothing to lose, the expectation's all on us. Um, clearly, the in the first game, I think the noticeable thing for me was, was uh, that Ruben Diaz did have a hard game, um, you know, I think that Haaland did live up to his billing apart from falling over himself when he had a golden opportunity to, to strike a goal. But he set up a beautiful goal with his pass to uh, to Royce, I think. And, you know, people talk about this big giant, he showed pace. And I'm not putting my hand up here saying we should buy him. I think the points made earlier are, are more valid, I think, to, to try and develop from within. If we need to get a stopgap, maybe in the interim period, so be it, just to keep the books balanced. Um, it's not a straightforward um, turn up and uh, and beat them. I think that they're, they're going to probably uh, see, we're going to see both sides score, I think. I think that's the first thing. And the question is obviously weighing up what that means, given that they've got an away goal. And... Um, this whole thing about penalties raises its head, of course, as well at this stage of the of the tournament. And still, I think we're not clear about whether or not we've got an advantage if there is a penalty given. Because so I think it's getting it's getting to squeaky bum time, and uh, I'm very uh, optimistic about us getting through because I think that particularly I've seen with De Bruyne and Gundogan. Uh, this incredible work rate with with tracking back and uh, and quality going forward, which um, people aren't talking about the two of them together when they're playing, but I think that's becoming synergistic now. Um, and noticeably in the last couple of games, just how many balls the two of them have tracked back and won in midfield. And, uh, you know, a part of me hopes that Pep has the balls to play Fernandinho on on uh, Wednesday night because I just don't think there's another uh, option really for us. I think he showed that even against Leeds. He was outstanding again. Um, but the fact that he played suggests that he won't play. So, yeah, you know, the typical City part of me says we're probably going to trip over the quarterfinal again. Uh, but on paper, we shouldn't be concerned. Um, it's just a question of getting that first goal put into bed any advantage that Dortmund have got from that away goal and then seeing where it goes from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel fairly confident, but my one concern is that they put everybody behind the ball, get it to 80 minutes at nil-nil, and then nick one and go through on the away goals rule. Um, how, how do you feel about it, Danny? you feel confident or uh, do you have that concern that, that we as City fans have got? Yeah, it's definitely, I, I think it's going to be a little bit trickier than uh, I think uh, what we, we, we expect. Uh, we, again, I think they're going to they're go with a, a type of football. They've always, you know, Harlan's always done well, uh, you know, when they've played at home as well and scored a lot of goals this season. So I think they're going to come with a, with a tactic of, of, you know, well, let's, let's just hold them out, hold them out, and let's try, try and catch City on a counter. 
so so they can nick a, a one one nil result. So that's that's my concern. The style of football they're going to you know try and uh, you know employ against City. So I think it's going to have to be Manchester City have to be on their game. They're going to have to be smart. They're going to have to be you know very careful. Uh, you know when they when they're moving that ball forward, not to get caught out on the counter. So I think that's the only way that 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 we could have a slipper, but I think with the quality and the, and the players Manchester City has got, you would think would go there and, and score a couple of goals and, and, and not concede. So, so that again, it's going to, it's, it's not going to be just as easy as turning up and, and playing a nice game of football. It's going to be a very competitive game and, and a game that, you know what, again, you can see what Leeds done on the weekend as much as City didn't have their, their so-called stronger side. Again, when they can make it, make it hard, make it a little bit scrappy, make it uncomfortable for, for, for a, for a a very good talented side sometimes those results don't go for you so it's going to have to be a very very um you know very you know thought out and well planned out game that um, Manchester City has to play against Dortmund to, to get a result one of, the, one, the one of the one of the feedbacks I did get from uh, from Germany was uh, uh, often you forget looking at it through your own glasses but the referee came in for some appalling abuse from from German football fans because I think uh uh, that that was one game where the rub of the green uh, and uh, the lack of VAR because of the referee's early intervention with his whistle. You know, I think actually uh, we, we, we've got to look at that and say we've got to tighten things up a little bit because, uh, you know, uh, they'll probably put out a better quality referee for, for this game given what happened last week. I know we haven't gone through that game in detail, but you're right to make that point, Andy. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Jude Bellingham's goal was a perfectly good one. Um, I mean, he toe-poked it away for me. He didn't put his foot up. And I think most City fans who, who are sensible agree with that and, and could see that that we got away with one there, really. Um, so after, after that, there's the possibility of uh, Bayern Munich or PSG. There's the semi-final against Chelsea. There's the League Cup final against Tottenham. Um, can City win the quadruple, Danny? A nice easy one for you to finish with. Yeah, my heart says, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd, you know. I'd say, I'd say yes. I'd, again, I'd be amazing if uh, if that was to happen. I'd I'd like to to say yes. Honestly, it's going to be so hard. It's going to be so hard. But but you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say yes. I'm going to say yes, and hopefully, we'll have another interview soon, and you'll say, Danny, you were right. We won all four. So so, and they'll they'll be a pleasure, and they'll be you know, it'll be great if they could do that. I'll tell you what, if City win the quadruple, you're booked, right? 100% you're booked <laughs> on the end of season. And, and even if you're not, well, perhaps we'll get you on again to, to, to see where it went wrong. But at the moment, I mean, there's no reason not to be optimistic, Andy, is there? I mean, I was going to sort of throw in the, you know, I've mentioned Leeds before, could the fact that we lost the last game have any psychological effect? Well, there's going to be such a personnel change on Wednesday. It's like it's a different club, a different team playing, so it can't make any difference, that can it? No, I don't think it will. Um, I think I'm reluctant to say I agree with Danny on the quadruple, and I only say it not only just because... I just can't imagine not being You're a city a... fan. That's why <laughs> you don't yeah, want to tempt fate, do you? <laughs> but even yeah, okay. There's always that part as well. But again, taking away the typical city badge for a minute, there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to do it. Although we have got possibly the harder half of the draw in the Champions League, I would suggest. Um, but I just couldn't imagine sat at home. Uh, and not being able to participate in, you know, any of the games in person. And I think, I, I, I'll tell you now, there's a lot of us of this uh, this age group who did watch Danny uh, fly up and down the left, uh, who would definitely feel aggrieved if we weren't able to pull it off and uh, we weren't able to participate. But you know, that's just how it is at the moment. And fingers crossed, there might be a place for a few of us, at least at the domestic uh, finals. Um, and who knows about whether or not there's a chance for us even to get to Istanbul as a team first. And then whether or not uh, as, as fans, I mean, 
one of the positive things I've seen in the last days is, uh, if you like, the opening up of some of the cities. Azerbaijan's open to Wales fans, for example, uh, for the Euros. So whether or not things are going to be under control sufficiently to enable at least some kind of participation if we do get to Istanbul, who knows? Well, fingers crossed that it works out that way. Um, thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk who are the sponsors of the podcast too. Uh, without them, there wouldn't be a podcast, so a big shout out to them. Uh, thanks to Andy. Um, big, big, big thanks to Danny for getting up early for giving so much of his precious time to us uh, and for being a city hero a true city hero and I don't say that in a uh, creepy way I say that in a genuine way because you're a, you, you were an absolute legend I think I, I, a lot of people won't describe you as a legend Danny but I will and, and I believe as a long-standing city fan and I'm sure I'll get the backing of Andy that there are Players like you that have played for our team that we could never question that you didn't give 100 and a million percent whatever <laughs> to, to our fo football club. And you're clearly still in the hearts of a lot of City fans. So thanks very much for your time. Um, with your permission, I will get you on again um, and we will talk about the aftermath of all this. So have a good day. I know it's just the beginning for you as we're coming to the end of ours. But thanks very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Good day to you. Thank you very much, Ian. Thank you very much, uh, Andy, as well, mate. Uh, and you take care over there, guys. And uh, it was a pleasure doing this interview with you guys. And uh, go the Mighty Blues. Absolutely. So it just remains for me to say, as I always say, at the end of every one of these podcasts, it's great being a blue, isn't it? <laughs>